Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And once again, I'm so glad to be here with you for this week's episode, which is all about how to change your career in midlife and specifically how designing jewelry got my creative career unstuck in midlife. Well, not my creative career, but my guest's creative career. So my guest today is Nancy Marland, an amazing woman in the middle who made a courageous career change from being a successful graphic designer to becoming a thriving jewelry designer. Oh my gosh, I would love to become a jewelry designer someday. (laughs) I met Nancy at a summer art show in Rhode Island three years ago, back in the day when we were traveling. And when I saw her work, I actually became giddy with excitement. It was just so beautiful and funky and fun. I was drawn right into her booth. It was kind of like a magnet. (laughs) And I couldn't wait to own one of her pieces. And lucky for me, my girlfriend Karen saw me swooning and purchased one of the necklaces for my birthday. And I was just so beside myself. Now, I kept Nancy's business card in my jewelry box. And I've gone back to her website several times over the years. And a few weeks ago, on her website, I noticed a story about how jewelry design was her second career. So you know me, I I leaned right in. I was like, oh my God, she could be an amazing guest on the podcast. So I reached out and that is why she's here today. Now, Nancy creates contemporary jewelry to inspire unique creative self-expression. And she really does. Each piece is a limited edition and one of a kind. Her work is handmade in Massachusetts in a studio, and she describes working in a spirit of spontaneity with a focus on abstraction, color, and organic forms. She's also influenced by the work of mid-century modernists, decorative arts, and the abstraction of patterns and shapes in nature and everyday things. And I have to say, this is totally why I was attracted to her work. Now, Nancy received a BFA from the Art Institute of Boston with a concentration in painting and sculpture. She came to jewelry later in life after having spent 30 years as a self-employed graphic designer, living near the ocean along with a lifetime of experience working in a variety of disciplines, including landscape painting, ceramics, quilting, fine wordworking, and graphic design. It's all informed the passion she feels doing this work. Nancy loves the ultimate design challenge of bringing life and joyful energy to work that's cohesive, well-made, and above all, comfortable to wear. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Hi, Nancy. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thanks so much, Susie. It's great to be here. So it's so fun the way we met. I was basically at a, a an outdoor art show and I was drawn to your beautiful booth filled with jewelry that had my name on it. Like every single piece seemed to have my name on it. So I kept your business card 
I visited your website several times since the three years ago when I met you. And I'm just thrilled that you're joining us. I mean, it never even occurred to me what your background was, but I started to stalk you a little bit and I read that this was a second career. So I'm really, really excited to dive into this with you today. All right. So what was going on in your 40s? We're going to back it up a little bit. What was going on in your 40s? What was your life like as just so we can get a good picture of where this career change came from for you? In my 40s, I uh, had just gotten married at age, well, 37. I had my first child at 38, my second child at 40. So the 40s were really about raising young daughters, you know. Um, But it was also, I mean, actually, after just months after my second child, I actually, um, I got so busy with my business. I was working at home. I actually hired somebody to hold my second child because I was working so hard. I was working as a graphic designer. um, And I that was my best year ever. It was the year 2000. And I made the the most money I'd ever made. And, you know, we were looking to buy a house, we wanted to, you know, keep living in Swampska, which is where I live, you know, um, in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, so it took a lot to do that. You know, I, um, my graphic design business has always been the bigger piece, even as a self-employed person, which is, you know, notable, I think. But yeah, it was a big piece for us financially. And I really needed to keep doing that. So, um, so my 40s were really, really hard, hard work, lots of extra hours. I had some really great clients who sustained us for many, many years. Um, little by little in my 40s, what started to happen uh, was that I was getting more companies that were nonprofit and the profits, well, also the technology was changing for graphic designers because it became a lot easier for everybody to do what they wanted to do with graphic design. And that included these nonprofit companies. And they were sort of taking over a lot of my uh, bigger piece in terms of my clientele. And I, you know, over the years, um, you know, reaching my late 40s, I I really started, I kept telling my husband, you know, I keep seeing the writing is on the wall here. This is Mm -hmm. not going to be what I can really sustain you know, over another decade, we just, I don't see it. Um, so I was becoming, you know, more and more anxious about that. Oh, that's and- interesting. Let me ask you one more question before we go more into the future. Tell me, when did you make the decision even to become a graphic designer? I was always, yeah, I, I um, started to recognize my talent um, at an early age. I loved portrait drawing and, you know, I was good at capturing, you know, likeness when I draw. And, um, you know, it's um, the graphic design evolved because what I really wanted to do, I, I studied fine art. That was what I went to school to study. So I studied fine art, went to the Art Institute in Boston, and I uh, actually, I thought I was going right into graphic design and illustration. And I discovered that I really didn't like the program as much as I thought I would. And I really wanted to explore more, you know, of a fine arts um, experience. So 
so that's what I did. But as I, as I started to come out of the education in fine arts, what I was discovering about myself was that I really wanted to work with people and I wanted to collaborate with design. And I found myself in publishing. My father had um, started a publishing company in, in my teens. And he was very successful in publishing. And, you know, so I did a lot of the, gra- I learned graphic design on the job in his company and realized that that was always going to be a good fallback for me. And so that's kind of where that link happened. But over the years, as I was doing graphic design, um, I found myself really wanting to do um, functional crafts of some kind. I explored furniture making. I discovered what's called studio furniture making. And it's something interesting about studio furniture making is that it's often not usable, but it's more of an artistic expression, but in the realm of functional art. So that was what was really capturing my imagination at the time. I I actually did a little detour. I did some courses and you know, created some furniture. Um, I discovered that the, um, you know, because I had to make a living doing this, that the mountain was a little too steep to make a living as a furniture maker, fine furniture maker, um, and kept at the um, the graphic design. Oh, I love this story. So you started out recognizing your artistic skills at an early age. It could not yes. be ignored. You pursued it and you started to also see that there was this interest in application, like you wanted art to be functional in some way. And then lo and behold, technology happens well into your successful graphic design business. Publishing changed completely. Uh, Graphic design changed completely. I remember in grade nine, I always I always talk about this because I talk to a lot of clients about career change. Like, what did you write in that grade nine assignment thinking about your future plans? And I wrote commercial art, which is what it was called even before graphic design. (laughs) Oh, I did that from an early age, too. I I said from an early age I was going to be a commercial artist. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then the very first thing that I did as an entrepreneur when I was 13 was calligraphy. And I, you know, was doing invitations and envelopes for for bar and bar mitzvahs way back then. You know, that's so fun that you also knew about commercial art. Of course you did. Okay, so now we're back into your late 40s. You see the writing on the wall. Things are changing. A career that you thought would always be stable with your graphic design skills, just like photography. Now it's so accessible to the masses. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not a day that goes by that I don't use Canva myself. Right. Or stock photography. I mean, that that became, um, yeah, I have to say I loved technology in the 80s. You know, we all rode the wave. I mean, when I first started as a graphic designer, we had to hire typesetters. We had to hire photographers, you know, and then you became the typesetter. I could take all the money for all that effort, you know, using Adobe products. And then Photoshop and using, um, you know, stock photography and making collages for, you know, all of that. So then the technology, the wave started to kind of uh, get small and, and that has become kind of a ripple. 
for, well, that's become massive for the masses, but it's, you know, really changed. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, so now you're at this point where you're feeling anxious about what to do next. So tell me what was that like? Because so many of us can relate to this where something is off. It may not be exactly the way you're describing with technology affecting your industry, but something is off and you just get, you get this voice where it's like, ooh, I think I might have to do something. Something is off. Tell me what that was like for you. Yeah, I do remember it pretty well. It, um, I remember walking around thinking, gosh, if only I could win the lottery, you know, if only, you know, something just fell into my lap. I mean, I was thinking about all sorts of things. You know, I enjoy cooking and I was starting to even dream about, oh, maybe I can, you know, create, um, I was thinking, I have a friend who we started to, um, look into, um, dehydrators. I was thinking about turning food into artistic dehydrated, really cool, you know, using, you know, like the, the green dots and peas and the, you know, really healthy veggies and things and dehydrating them and creating snacks out of dehydrate. You know, I was Good. thinking in lots of different ways. Um, I ended up, I was asking sort of the universe to give me a sign. You know, I did a lot of that. It was like a, you know, a lot of soul searching and asking, you know, I need to know what my next step is because I need to take a next step. Um, you know, it's almost like that image of the trapeze artist, you know, you kind of take a, you know, you, you get on the, the bar and you take the leap and you just sort of hope that there's something there to catch you, you know? Um, so it sounds like you were at this point accepting the idea that a change needed to happen. So you weren't fighting with that. You just didn't have the clarity of where to set okay. that GPS point. It's like, we're okay. moving, we're going on a trip, but I don't know where yeah. to put this point. <laughs> right. And I kept sort of, you know, warning my husband, the writing is on the wall. I need to, I need to make a change <laughs> you know, because yeah, my, my income was really needed. And, you know, so it was going to have to be a change that was practical, but also, you know, here's the other consideration. I mean, I know that I'm never going to be, have the money to retire. You know, um, we just don't have that kind of savings. So whatever I did, it was going to have to serve two purposes. One to make me happy, to make me feel like I'm not working anymore. And two, you know, to make, to, you know, keep some, some income coming in. So it really was a tall order. It was a tall order, but how fun to love, to not feel like you're working as part of your retirement plan. Exactly. It's such a different way to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, It's such a different way to think about it. So interesting. (laughs) Okay. So then what happened? Well, the first step was um, I, uh, there was a, a um, ceramics workshop that opened up in a nearby town. And I decided to, you know, take some course, courses, classes, you know, I, I spent a lot of time really exploring ceramics as, you know, is this the answer? Can I see myself becoming, you know, somebody that does craft shows and making cups and bowls and, you know, some other functional uh, pottery. And 
something wasn't quite working. I, I was at it for a while, but I was hitting a couple of roadblocks. I was also thinking one of the biggest pieces in my discovery of what I was going to do was practicality, you know, um, schlepping, breakable material, you know, heavy, breakable material. I mean, sometimes even just to ship a piece of ceramics costs more than the piece itself. So I was, you know, really thinking about practicality. And then um, somewhere I found out, I discovered um, silver metal clay, of course. I thought, ooh, that's interesting. And I took the course. It was just in this little, you know, craft shop. And I started to make these sculptural pieces. What is um, silver? Every, what is it? It's actually silver. It comes in a powder form. Uh, you can also buy it with, you know, having been um, added water. But it's powdered silver. It's fine silver with a 5% powder that binds the silver when it's fired, you know. So you take this powdered silver, you add enough water to make it clay-like. And then the thing about it, it takes some skill and some experience working with it because it dries really quickly. So you have to, you know, kind of go into the idea with some plan and, and, you know, and get it done. Then you go through a drying phase and then you put it in the kiln. Um, it shrinks quite a bit. So you, you pay, you know, you, um, that's part of the equation. And then you come out of it with this piece of silver that you can you know, hang on a necklace or make earrings out of. I mean, I think um, it's not cheap. It's so you can create a piece of uh, silver using it, you know, to your liking. And then the next step for most um, jewelers is to cast it and to, you know, reproduce it. And, um, and that's a practical way to go. So you just saw this as an idea, a workshop that was posted in a yeah. local craft store and you had yeah. enough curiosity to walk in there and try something new. Yes. You know, that's that where a lot of people get stopped because being a beginner again at our age is, you know, sometimes challenging. Yeah. Well, beginner to some degree. Um, but the thing that I recognized in that class was, you know, there's a spectrum of what it means to be an artist. Most of the people in the class were doing what the teacher told them to do, which was to roll out the clay into little flat, you know, um, you know, pieces, use a little die cast and make a circle and then stamp it with some kind of, um, you know, texture. My idea was to go in being sculptural from the beginning. And so that's, when, that's the, um, the experience that I have always brought is I have a lifetime of experience as an artist and it almost doesn't matter what the medium is. You can make something, you know, and I think that's the thing that people have to recognize when they go into making a big change. What is the thing that makes you tick? And for me, it was, you know, some form of creativity. Oh my gosh, I love this because one of the things that I've, really started to talk about in the podcast is we feel like we don't know what we want when we're confused, when we're in this midlife funk. And what I always say, and I've seen this with so many people I've interviewed, is that we're already on the path. Mm -hmm. There are such 
hints and clues with the story that you're telling about where you came from. And even though you didn't know exactly what you'd be doing, you're doing things already and you have been for decades that are leading you exactly where you need to go. That's exactly what happened to me too. And like I said, it's Mm -hmm. come up so often with people. So I am grinning my face Mm -hmm. off because I see that you're starting to, in your story, starting to put some things together. So the functional art was driving you, working with your hands was driving you, identifying as an artist in a different way, more the way you identified as an artist in your earlier days. Graphic art is more, has more of a commercial application. This is more of a personal thing you're starting to think about. And the sculptural element is kind of what you were gravitating towards back then too, when you didn't want like traditional fine art. Right. So it's all here. It's all here. So what you didn't know, though, is, oh, what's this going to look like? A jewelry business with mixed media? Hmm. You didn't know that yet. (laughs) So keep going with this story. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I guess I can't emphasize enough how much, you know, I kind of I have a very active left brain, I guess, which means that you know, I'm very organized. I wanted to be very practical in my approach. So yes, I'm an artist, you know, and creativity is a big part, but also it was always buffered by this practicality because, you know, here I am midlife and I needed to make some decisions that led me down a successful path. Um, Jewelry is an interesting industry because it's huge. Um, And it's a very big uh, industry in terms of, you know, money and possible sales and all that. So that, that was calling to me. I mean, I really had to make a decision around income. Um, But there's so much about jewelry that uh, was an interesting challenge for me too, because, you know, I, I was, I was a tomboy growing up. I was never a fashion girl. So uh, for me, um, making a decision to go for jewelry, but jewelry has opened up so much in the last decade or two or three, where it's become more of a fine art. For It's become sort of wearable art. It's not just pearls and diamonds and, you know, the traditional high-end jewelry. It's, it's well, yeah, and, opened I, up. and I'm looking at you right yeah. now. You don't have any of your jewelry on. I know, I've got this, I've got my... <laughs> my funky, uh, you know, scarf and, and, and these things here. I was going to wear some earrings, but I had to wear the, these. Instead. The earbuds, yeah, earbuds <laughs> instead of earrings. No, but I hear that. It's like you weren't, you, you didn't yeah. grow up part of the whole jewelry culture. And it was very different when we grew up. It wasn't as funky and fun as it is right now. Right. Um, uh, it was much more traditional. I remember on my uh, as a kid, I always had this little ruby. Ruby's my birthstone. And I got a little oh. ruby ring for my 13th birthday. And, you know, it was more traditional. You wore an initial ring. You maybe wore a birthstone. Maybe you had a heart somewhere on a necklace. Right. But yeah, it wasn't what it is now. So that was a bit of a reach. But you could see that it was calling your name. It was functional and it could be shipped right? You were yeah, the schlep right. factor going to shows and things was very different when you're moving right. smaller pieces of jewelry around. Uh, and then it was really just your identity, you know, right. Could you embrace well, being a jeweler? Yeah. Right. Well, and it was, for me, it was also 
um, the identity of women who were going to wear my jewelry, mm. you know, and I, that was, I mean, something that I, I really had to explore, um, you know, I think you, you know, said a lot of it in the, in the early part of our conversation that what you see in my work is this sort of joy and expression, just kind of some fun pop of color. And, um, you know, so that was a lot of what I was going after. And I think for older women, especially, they're ready to wear that kind of thing. They're ready to say, hey, I'm kind of an artist. I'm a creative, you know. And I'm going to say something that that identifies myself that way. And that's that's kind of what um, I was going after. Oh, my gosh. When I stumbled when I stumbled on your uh, your booth, this out, it was not I guess it kind of was a booth outdoor. Yeah. The most beautiful day. I could not make a decision. I am so your ideal client. Everything was so beautiful. I was giddy with joy as I was just looking at the pieces. It was so hard to make a decision, that's for sure. Okay, but we're skipping ahead. So okay. then now you're, you're mucking around with this silver clay. And yeah. what happened then? When did you get this idea that this might be your path forward? I think, you know, within days of playing with those pieces, really. I mean, I, I, I really went into um, this, you know, my extra room here in my house. And started drawing, and that was when the water collection was born. Um, yeah, I live near the ocean, been always near the ocean my whole life. So water as sort of a, the deepest identity for all of us, because our bodies are, what, 70% water, um, was a big part of the decision. And, you know, I guess in some ways, maybe that sounds a little hokey, but I, I had to kind of um, start from the roots of who I was. Um, and, you know, I, I love abstraction. So I was taking some of those water themes and just kind of making bubbles. You have the, um, the circle of bubbles piece, which um, that was actually my very first um, creative piece of the water collection. Really? And that was, that was the piece that made me realize, you know what, I think I can do this, you know, I had taken, you know, a couple of other courses before I got to that piece. And when I made that piece, I realized, you know what? I really love this, you know? Oh my gosh, and so do I. <laughs> I love that piece. Was, <laughs> yeah, I love that piece too. And it's funny though, because now you look at my work and I've got these two other collections, um, which are very different from the water collection. And I'm really going in other, uh, other directions with this. Um, that are more colorful and funky, but, and slowly I am letting go of the water collection. Although this morning I've, I've had, or in the last week, I'd say I've had a couple of ideas for water pieces, but yeah. So, you know, now it's, it's a point where you have to sort of, you know, uh, create those parameters where you can make decisions on, um, you know, what you're really going to commit to. Right. What did that decision look like? So when you you're back in your studio and you start drawing, you come up with the water idea, I would imagine because this is such a different path that there must have been some investment that needed to be made. And it's a very yeah. different lifestyle to sell jewelry with an with a website and with vendor events and all kinds of things. So 
What did that all look like? I'm sure that was scary. Yeah, it was. Um, There was just a lot of ambivalence about whether I was going to be able to pull this off uh, because there was so much to learn. But I really threw myself at it. I was taking classes with the silver metal clay. I had identified someone um, who, you know, really knows her stuff around silver metal clay and she became a mentor. Then I started to investigate polymer clay and I became very excited about polymer clay and identified another mentor um, who I worked with, you know, to really help me understand how to get the business off the ground. We started looking at um, how to compose my calendar, what, what I was going to accomplish, um, you know, how I was going to build a website, how, you know, and I, I brought a lot of skills with my graphic design to the table. So I was very, very fortunate in that respect. I could really um, make something, I could fake it more <laughs> than your average person because I could make it look like, you know, this real thing, you know, before it really was a real thing. That's great. Yeah. So, so you had a few pieces and you were able to build out a website. Is that what you were saying to start to develop uh, yeah. exposure? That's right. Without uh, having hundreds of pieces ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it always starts small. And my very first show was, I have a friend who is a painter. She has a studio in Somerville and she, you know, there was an open studio there and I put up a little table with, with my very early pieces. And I sold quite a bit that day. So I felt like these were signs that this was possible. Wow. Okay. So then what would you say tip the bucket for you to say, this is it. I'm making a decision. I'm going all in. I'd say I had tipped the bucket kind of early on because I think that in order to be successful at anything, you really do have to bring everything you've got, you know, and it, it has to be a very firm decision that because, you know, you're going to go through the phase, which I did, of, you know, oh, God, this is, this is a lot more work than I thought, or, you know, I'm, I know my pieces aren't quite there yet, but, you know, you just have to kind of put one foot in front of the other. And over time, it's something that builds. You know, you start to build on your experience. And now five, six years later, it's like, wow, night and day between what I had started doing and, and what I've got now. Um, you know, and I think understanding the industry and the business for what it, what it is. Um, talk to a lot of jewelers. I would go to shows. I would talk to them. And I got the good, the bad, and the ugly from all of them. You know, I mean, I would go to shows and say, How, what's it like being at this show? Oh my God, I'm, I feel like a caged animal <laughs> because, you know, you're sitting in a booth for three days on end, you know, talking to people. It's I mean, so funny. I go to these shows looking for podcast guests because I, I gravitate so much. Oh, I was talking to you for a long time, um, yeah. even after I made the purchase. And I actually, my girlfriend made the purchase for me for my birthday present. It was just oh. so, it was so beautiful. Um, yeah, because. I love talking to artists and I always find such interesting stories. I can sniff out a good story um, because being an artist isn't for the faint of heart. And I know um, when we were talking, you also mentioned 
being an entrepreneur isn't for the faint of heart. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what do you think the main lessons were for you that you could share with other women listening um, about this whole giant reinvention of your career? I'd say the big lessons um, for me have been to believe in myself. Um, I always have had a good work ethic. I was always a really hard worker. And I think that's required, um, you know, to be successful. You really need to um, realize that you're going to have to put in the time and, and um, you need to fake it till you make it. That was something that kept coming up as a theme for me in the very early days. Um, you know, you have to show that you've got the stuff and not to say that, you know, you're, you're, you know, being fake about anything. You're just putting out what you've got and you're standing behind it. And um, yeah, you may not have, you may not have the confidence at the beginning when you are putting it out and standing behind it. I think that's what you're getting at with faking it is you have to portray confidence in your work and that grows. It's also, though, I think more so that I had to portray confidence in myself, Ah. you know, that that's, I think, the bigger piece for me. Um, If you don't, if you tell yourself, well, you know, I'm up against a huge, you know, uh, creative jewelry industry, and I'm just a little teeny piece, and my work isn't that good, and all those kinds of things you're not going to get very far very fast. But if you say to yourself, hey, this is a big universe and I have a right to be here. I'm part of this universe and the universe is there. You know, um, the universe is big enough for me. I think that's one of the things I told myself a lot. The universe is big enough for one more jewelry designer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was one of the big, big pieces. And I think it's something my father used to tell me, you know, if you want to do something, you know, if there's something you want to do, you look at the people doing it and you figure out how did they do it, you know, and that's what I went to do when I first discovered that, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to this. I hired a lot of, um, not a lot, you know, two essential mentors that really got me from, you know, uh, not knowing what I was doing to understanding what I needed to do. Oh, I love that part of your story. I mean, mindset is essential. And this belief in yourself does lead to self-confidence and it does end up creating the result that you want. I mean, when you think that way, which you trained yourself to think, because as you're saying, like, there's a lot of urge not to think that way. You have to keep correcting and watching your thoughts to see what's going on up there to correct in a way that's useful for you. And this idea about being very strategic about mentors is brilliant. I've done the same thing with mentors and I, I, you get what you need. You saw what you needed and it was Mm -hmm. invaluable for you. Yeah. Yeah. It it really is. You know, you can't do it alone. This is, um, you do need and I think, you know, I've discovered that most jewelers, we're not competitors, you know, we're people that support each other. You know, we're trying to find our own voice. It's like being a writer or a musician, you know, everybody's got their own special voice and, and that's what we're putting out. 
Exactly. And your voice, it's it's really a combination of your story, your experiences, your your life of growing up in the water, uh, not in the water, near the water yeah. and and right. being your your path to graphic design and art and the way it meandered about. That's all reflected in where you are now and the path that you're on. So you were on the path even when you didn't know where to set the GPS point and your experiences all helped you be successful right now where you are. Oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful yeah. story. And I know that somebody listening to the podcast right now is dying to go to your website and see what you're all about. So how can people find you? I have a website. Uh, my URL is www.nancymarland.com. And that's spelled M-A-R-L-A-N-D, N-A-N-C-Y-M-A-R-L-A-N-D.com. Awesome. And of course, I'm going to have your website in the show notes. I really encourage you to check out Nancy's work. It just makes me happy looking at all of the designs and all of the color. There's so much movement there. I just always have a big giant smile on my face when I check out her website. So please check it out, www.nancymarlin.com. As I said, the website will be in the show notes. Nancy, I wish you the best. Thank you so much for taking time to share your story of reinvention and career pivot here on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy for me to share. All right. Great interview, right? I'm sure you took a lot from meeting Nancy. Technology really changed her graphic design career. She knew she had to change. So she started to explore. And we have talked about that several times on the podcast, how important it is to allow yourself that time to explore. Now, the process of design is what has always really excited Nancy. She was always attracted to functional design. It always captured her imagination. So think about that with yourself. What has always attracted you? What have you always been curious about and fascinated by? There are clues in that. Nancy's work is also quite distinctive. When you see it, there's a contrast between the precious metal and the polymer clay. It's shiny and reflective with the metal. And then that's against this colorful patterned matte polymer. And it's, it's just like I described it as giddy. I just get giddy. It's so intoxicating. She loves to bridge the organic with the man-made, with one foot in the natural world and the other one like modern and whimsical. I just love that blend. So again, notice that there were clues for what she loved throughout her life. And that's what I really want you to take from this interview. So just like with so many amazing women in the middle, when you're searching like this, you usually don't fully appreciate that you're already on the path. I love how she kept coming back to the importance of practicality. She couldn't get away from it. <laughs> it really helped her go forward. And she also had this strong realization that she wanted to feel like she wasn't working. She wanted to be active and doing instead of thinking about what she was doing as work. Now, how fabulous is that really, right? <laughs> so she knew that what made her tick was creativity. That was the core and that was her passion. And she just took it from there. And it's another example of what's possible no matter your age. So please check out her website and see her amazing work. I bet you'll fall in love with it too. Her pieces make great gifts to others and to yourself, of course. So head over to www.nancymarland.com. 
Okay, that is it for this episode. As you know, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you waste less time spinning and feeling stuck about all kinds of stuff, about aging, about empty nest, about relationships, about your career, about being more compassionate toward yourself, about all of it. It's time to get excited about your life again. (laughs) And you know, I always talk about being the queen of your brain domain. I think it's the best way to be, and I'm here to help. And This is what you'll learn when you hire me as your private coach. You know what? You are not going to believe what's possible in your life and the transformation that you will be ready to make. I know you might not think that you really, really need help like this, and that if you just listen to the perfect podcast episode, you'll have the answers that you need. And I would say that if you're on the fence about working with me, just book the call and let's talk. There are different ways to experience change and growth. And One way is what you're experiencing now by listening to a podcast. Another way is with coaching. I can help you grow faster and you'll see the connections and insights more clearly. And you know what? We laugh a lot too because I don't know, I can't help it. (laughs) It's a fun process. Um, You will learn to be more curious and more compassionate with yourself for sure. So it is so good and it's such a beautiful gift. Head over to www.talktosusie.com and book your free call there. I can't wait to see your name in my calendar. For show notes and links, head over to www.coachwithsusie.com and to get your hands on nine secrets to get unstuck in your 50s, it's a free guide. Go to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash nine secrets. Let's do this, ladies. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. 